One of the most instantly recognisable London events and a fixture in the calendar since the time of King John. The Lord Mayor's Show now in its 799th year is all about pageantry and tradition. On today's show we meet the man who makes it all happen, the pageant master. I'm in Quentin Wolfe and this is Londonist Out Loud. Hey baby let me take you down to a place of strange sights and sound You ain't never seen the light before, just a stone throw from your front door soaked morning. I'm looking out onto the Guildhall yard. To my left is the gable end of the church, the stained glass windows. They're failing to twinkle in a bit of a half-hearted morning light. The clouds are just clearing. With me is a person who, well, I was trying to work out what job title to give this man. It's going to take a while if we go that direction. So I'm going to introduce him simply as Dominic Reed, pageant master, and we'll unpack it from there. Hi, Dominic. Hi there. Nice to be with you. Likewise, yeah, thanks. And um, we, we've avoided leaf blowers today. It's uh, There's a sort of an air of cleaning up going on, not only because it's autumn and there are leaves everywhere and people busying themselves clearing those off the sidewalks around, but also it's the, uh, the the aftermath, the hangover the next morning after the Lord's Mayor's show. It is indeed, yeah, absolutely. After the Lord Mayor's show comes the Corporation Dust Cart and uh, we've just seen the Corporation Leaf Blower, which has been a cause for amusement to both of us, I think, hasn't it? Yeah, no, it's a... It's a the, Curiously, there isn't a huge amount of clearing up to do after the Lord Mayor's show, but there is a, you know, there is, there is an aftermath. It's a very intense um, event. A lot of people in it. A lot of people come to watch it. A lot of effort goes into it. This year, it was a great success. So yeah, I think we're all we're all slightly recovering. Um, I, I'm I'm all recovering really also at the end of a, a slightly longer year because I was very deeply involved in the the delivery of the Invictus Games, which was another great London event this uh, this summer. So that was uh, it's been a, it's been a, an, a good year, but I am looking forward to a break at Christmas time. Yeah, and your work is by no means finished because you're off overseas in a couple of days' time. That's right. Yes. No. I'm 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 going uh, going over to uh, Bangalore with the Royal Society, um, the Royal Society of London for the promotion of natural knowledge. Um, as it should be formally known, um, uh, with whom I've worked for, for some time. And um, they're working with the Joel Nehru Centre for Advanced Scientific Research in Bangalore to produce the first Commonwealth Science Conference in, uh, in over 50 years. So that's a, that's a very exciting project. And when I come home from that, then I think I might, uh, I might just take a, a rest, yeah. So we've got lots of iconic London events that we could talk about. One of the things, though, that I'm conscious of is that you've spent the last uh, however many months and years promoting uh, the Lord Mayor's show. I think we've just had the, uh, the, the nice round number 799. Uh, we're coming up for the 800th next year, I believe. That's right, yeah. Um, next year will be the 800th anniversary of, of the mayoral charter, which is what brought the show into being. So before that, you did have mayors. You had mayors from 1189, as everybody knows. Henry Fitzalwin was, was, became mayor in, in 1189, held the post for 24 years. It was the charter that was granted just a month or so before Magna Carta that, that really reinforced the Lo- Londoners' um, right to elect their own mayor, and it was mayor at that point. It wasn't Lord Mayor. Lord Mayor was came in sort of later in the 1500s. Mayor itself was a French word because we didn't have a word in the language for this this head of the of the, of the common people, this sort of elected figure. But but that's what what came into being. And 
the show developed uh, as a mechanism to show this individual quite literally to the people and to the sovereign because the charter um, makes it clear that, that the uh, that the newly elected mayor had to swear an oath of allegiance to the crown there was such a power base in the city of london that that the, the crown couldn't afford for them to be rogue and so the lawman had to swear fealty and that's what happens and it still happens today so legislation has successively um, uh, evolved and now the City of London Various Powers Act of 1959 um, uh, Section 5 Paragraph 2 says that the Lord Mayor will swear an oath of allegiance on the second Sunday on sort of the second Saturday in November in every year as was formerly uh, accustomed um, to the Barons of the Exchequer so off the Lord Mayor goes and uh, we escort him from his his um, his residence from the Mansion House to the Royal Courts of Justice to swear an oath of allegiance and that's what that's what happens so Next year's 800th is the 800th anniversary of that occasion. It's not the 800th actual show because there have been shows that haven't taken place. Um, We don't have a definitive list of them, though. But things like the plague and the Great Fire um, and most recently the funeral of the Duke of Wellington caused the show to be cancelled. I think certainly the show wound its way through the, the First World War years and there's very very fine evidence of that 1914 1915 particularly um what happened in the second world war is slightly less clear but there was the function was 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 fulfilled so the lord mayor did go and fulfill that constitutional function although we know that the that the state coach was and, and most of the city's treasures were taken out of london for safety during the during the blitz where did that was it uh, cambridge a lot of stuff went to where, where did those things go to i'm not entirely sure i mean i think they went to a variety of places but um, but but they were they were dispersed a lot of an awful lot of stuff was dispersed out of london um for safety i rather like the idea of the state coach in a garage somewhere in uh, worcestershire or something. well yeah you say that i mean the the, the um the city owned more than just the state coach the state coach is in the museum of london and is is there um to be seen all year round and it's fabulous to go and look at um but the city own another group of carriages and they are stored under the arches of southwark bridge and it is just a lock up under a bridge and um and curiously it keeps them in very good condition because the the, the the humidity levels are, are appropriate i think I mean, it's obviously it's what what carriages would have how they would have been stored so we have um we have two town coaches and two and well, we have four chariots of which we use two now i know that there is an element of competition in the design of the uh, coach i suppose so the, the display of grandeur and uh, that uh, was was built into its design but i wondered as we've press the history button could we say something about the evolution of the tension between monarch and mayor or lord mayor um well a whole lot of interesting strands to that i'm probably not the expert um but but you you've got um you've got that early kind of medieval essence where where you know the the one, one of the signatories of Magna Carta was the Lord Mayor of London. Um, so there's, a, there's an inherent tension there. There's this charter that's created in order to make sure that the, there is loyalty between um, the city and the sovereign. Um, if you look at the sort of things that I do, if you look at the Lord Mayor's show, there's an interesting transition. The earlier pagan festivals, um, sort of the midsummer celebrations and so forth, and what they call the royal entries, which were, which were royal celebrations. And there is a there is a change in the way that those are, uh, are handled and the importance that's 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 given to those. I mean, if you want to if you want to get into the detail of that, there's a really good book called Pageantry and Power, written by Tracy Hill, which was published only a few years ago, which goes into the history of the early modern Lord Mayor show and 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 talks about that in some detail. But there was there was clearly you know there was this sort of blingy kind of contest about you know 
what was grander and who was better and all the rest of it, um, uh, which uh, which I don't think is, is is the case now. It's much more much more genteel now than it was. Well, it also seems to speak uh, certainly on the part of the monarch to more of a consciousness of individual power than perhaps we might be ready to recognise it in the moods of the present day. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think I think nowadays a lot of what we do is symbolic. Uh, and actually, the whole the whole of the Lord Mayor show is redolent with symbol, as is state ceremonial. And one of the things that I'm particularly interested in is the way in which the the syntax of that is 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 understood. I mean, it's very. I think it's very clear that you know we we talk very glibly, really, in this country about being the best at doing this. Um, one of the reasons we're the best is that we're the last, if we're honest, and that's the point that Eric Hobsbawm makes in The Invention of Tradition, which I think is, is, is a very key point. But equally, um, if you look at every level of, 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 a, of a ceremonial event, whether it's the costume, the music, the way in which people pay compliments to one another, the way people stand, move, absolutely everything is part of a structure. And, and and that gives it a coherence. I mean, it's like speaking a language, it's like speaking in sentences. You take all the punctuation out, you know, you lose all the paragraphs, it becomes gibberish. And and the same is true with ceremony. So what we what we are very good at doing is we're good at understanding. It. And I think as a nation, we are we're a very rules. We might think we're not, but we're a very rules based nation, and we understand that, and we kind of pick up the the codification. And I mean, is that, but I think there's an awful lot that people can can learn there's a huge amount more to be learned about every every sort of layer of it whether as i said whether it's the costume whether it's the um you know any other element and and that's that's sort of a subject of interest for me there's a wonderful hungarian writer i think from the 50s his name escapes him mike Mike something or other who um, was an immigrant to the UK and wrote about the experience of the English and he said that even when he's on his own an Englishman will stand in an orderly queue of one and that really seems you look at any bus queue you'll you'll see that going on but it it makes me wonder whether your job ever seems restrictive to you you're not at liberty to presumably wipe the canvas clean and come up with whatever function you think best there's a lot of tradition there's a lot of stuff that carries over year to year as you say a lot of precedence to every move um is that restrictive i don't think it is for me i mean i think you know i used to boast that i had the last unregulated job in england i think that you know health and safety and all that has seen that to not necessarily be the case any longer but but the 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 wonderful thing about what i do and what i'm allowed to do is that i can be interpretive if you look at state ceremony you're absolutely right there is a book there is a rule you know it has to conform to a very very specific and very detailed series of of you know of things one that follows the other with the lord mayor show as long as it's coherent in my view it's okay now that i think is important because there's a you know the the issue with the with the nature of language is that the people watching it are the important people if they understand what they're looking at, if it makes sense to them, then then you're winning. Then it works. They have an appetite for it. It has a relevance. It's conveying a message. It all kind of knits together. If you get to the point where they don't understand what's going on, you've got two choices. You've either got to adapt it so that people do understand. In other words, you've got to reinterpret it so that people can see what's going on. Or you've got to... Or you've got to educate people and well, what, 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 sorry to jump in what do you mean when you say not understanding what they mean because in a case of a procession I mean, a presentation I wonder how much room there is for misunderstanding well two points to answer that one is that if you look at the way that the crowd behave around the Lord Mayor show 
they are they are an audience that sticks and and they stick because they they have a connection with it that connection is born of a fundamental understanding of the rules they're not listening to a foreign language they are they get it the story that i or the the, the example that i would use to, to to illustrate the business about understanding and not understanding was the issue around the flying of the uh, of the um, royal standard over buckingham palace following the death of princess diana and there was an outcry that it was outrageous that the royal standard wasn't being flown at half mast that was a genuine feeling born out of a sense of bereavement and and, and what i have and has to be treated seriously but the reality is that that flag isn't a flag it's a symbol of the sovereign it cannot be flown at half mast the queen is either there or she's not she's either alive or she's not you know, there is no half measure so it's illogical in that language to fly it at half mast so as the famous the famous sort of um uh, you know workaround was that they that the, the the union flag was flown and was flown at half mast now that was a perfect indication of of changing the language in order to to catch up so that people understood people then were satisfied that okay yes due 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 respect was being paid etc etc but you know there are two sides to that story and 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 that's that's the kind of knife age on what which all this sits and you can tell by the popularity of events that like the Lord Mayor show or trooping the color or state opening at parliament any of those things you can tell by the fact that they are warmly supported and 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 loved but we're still on the right side of that of that tipping point and people do fundamentally understand it but i think there's a huge amount of just interesting things that, that that people can pick up and i think that that's a gap that i look forward to fill, filling i mean partly through conversations like this but i think also through the show through sort of the webcasting that we do and other things just explaining what it's about because it is fascinating and it does have a you know there is a system of logic and it's not you know one's not imposing it on anybody but it's just you know if you want to listen to a beautiful piece of music if you understand the structure of the music you appreciate it more deeply and that's true of you know classical symphonies it's true of of any other genre you know it's if you if you've got an understanding and you 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 really get inside it then you have a greater sense of enjoyment and i think that's true of of what i do do you think there's a bit of a danger that we generally are too ready to believe that we know what we need to know when we encounter something the the idea that there might be something that we have to educate ourselves about in order to appreciate something is, is rather out of fashion yeah i mean that's an interesting point i think i think it's it's out of fashion in some senses, but I think if you look at the appetite that people have for um, for actually learning stuff, I think that tells us that, that that is definitely not the case. I mean, my experience working with the Royal Society um, was that you underestimate people's appetite for complex, difficult stuff at your peril. People actually really do want to know. People do not wish to be treated as idiots, nor should they be. There's plenty of stuff that a lot of us don't understand, but that doesn't mean you can't offer them the opportunity to do it. And if you look at the success of Brian Cox, for example, you know, what does he do? He deals with really complex issues. He does it in a nice, friendly, open-handed way. You can take as much or leave as much as you want to, but he's not dumbing down. You know, and I think, I think there is a, you know, maybe, the, the, maybe because there's a sort of a, a sense that, that with ceremony, with, with things that are simple, perceived to be symbolic of grandeur and state that one shouldn't be talked down to the reality is the stuff to learn about it you know my great joy is working with people who actually do the making and the doing you know if you get alongside a guy who's taking the wheel off a state coach you know 
they can teach you a huge amount not only about that vehicle but about the way vehicles are developed over time it's a fascinating conversation that you have same thing's true if you talk to somebody who makes some of the beautiful uniforms and robes and things you know there's a there's a real understanding and a craft that goes back generations often and and um, and that's a that's a joy to behold I wasn't sure what to expect of you, I must be honest. And, of course, I'm still working on only slightly more than first impressions. However, my very first impression of you was a picture with the the big black hat on Wellington, styley. And, by the way, I, I noticed on the same webpage that I was looking at that you're the middle in a family sandwich of people who are uh, previous runners of this event and uh, potential future runners of the event. But that's uh, by the by. But you're an expert in a number of different areas necessarily for this job. You run all sorts of other events many of them extremely notable big uh, county fairs as well so you must be an expert in lots of different geographic areas and lots of different cultural traditions Um, but you're an architect and I wondered how you had made this leap um I am an architect I mean I trained as an architect I practice as an architect both um, both in India and and in this country and I I suppose I regard myself as an architect or I regard myself as a designer fundamentally I mean uh, I remember having an interesting conversation with with Marvin Bragg who who regards himself as a writer not a broadcaster I mean it's funny what we think about ourselves in a sense um yeah, no, I, that, that's what I did. That was my training. I, um, I then went to work with my mother and father, who were both architects, John and Sylvia Reed, who did quite a lot of um, uh, interesting and, and, and very good, in my view, uh, mid-century design. So a lot of their furniture and lighting fittings are, are quite collectible mid-century objects. Now, they were of a generation of people who who came out of the war and really cut their teeth on the Festival of Britain. And the Festival of Britain was, you know probably the london event to end all london events really i mean it's a fantastic thing but but if you look at the people who were involved in the design and the production of that um you know it's a list of really interesting people so pretty much everybody who was everybody in in, in british architecture and design was involved in that and and my parents as i said went on to to produce furniture um and lighting fittings and when they did that they were asked to do exhibition work around those products which they did um, and it was from that that my father became involved in the Lawmare show from the point of view of it being an exhibition he did an exhibition here in the city called, in 1971 called a city for the whole man which was well received and then he started the Lawmare show in 72 just for one year just to look at it from the perspective of a series of floats and how do you design them and what should they look like and we still have I still very much um, care about what it looks like I don't do a lot of the design myself although I give a lot of design guidance and I do personally approve everything that goes into the show um but then as i said i went to work with him and and then very sadly after we'd been working together for about two years he he had a heart attack and died died very young died at 66 and i was asked immediately and by immediately i mean that same morning by the city if i would take on running the law show and i said yes and that was in 1992 and in 1992 we were really in the in the the grip of the previous recession and architecture was on its knees and um and i was very pleased to take on the lord mayor show it was a fascinating thing i felt honored to do it and also it was a way of earning a living if i'm honest you know so that's what happened and then one thing led to another i haven't um i mean after the after this this conversation actually i'm going off to see a former architectural colleague and to keep my my sort of contacts and my my interest open i am still very interested in it. i'm very interested in the way that the the work that i do I mean, it, it sits in the public realm. It sits within architecture. It can't do anything else, and, and it interacts with it, and I think that's an important element. If you look at the way that... Uh, when we were talking earlier, I was talking about the different elements of, uh, of an event and how they all have a, a kind of a, a, a syntax and, and, and a structure. But, I mean, the biggest, clearest structure is where you do stuff. You know, you said 
you set the scene for, for this conversation by saying you're looking out into Guildhall Yard, you're looking at the end of the building and the, the stained glass window. I mean, architecture defines space. It certainly defines urban space. We in this country have historically had a relaxed attitude to the way in which the public realm has developed, and I think that's changing and more work is going into it. But everything that I do takes place in the public realm. It takes place on the street, in between buildings, and the way in which that that works, the way in which you use that space and, you know, inhabit it and respond to it um, clearly makes a difference. Um, you know, and you look around and you look at the new buildings. I mean, the, 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 the amount of change in the city in the years that I've been doing the Lord Bay Show has been, has been profound. It's, it's accelerating. There are a huge number of really exciting things that are going to happen now. So, you know, from the Thomas Heatherwick's Garden Bridge, which is going to suddenly land... 7 million people a year on top of the existing Temple Tube Station to the redevelopment of London Wall as a, you know, as a much more public space. There's the whole issue of, of the redevelopment of, of the Barbican, and the Cultural Hub, the Museum of London. There are, you know, there's the Cycle Superhighway, um, all of which is good stuff, but you know, it's going to have a profound effect on what I call the route, which is where the Lord Mayor Show goes. And the Lord Mayor Show has been going there, um, that set route, um, every year since 1952. So we need to look very carefully at the way that that all works. We need to um, make sure that, that that it's capable of doing both things. And I passionately believe that, that it is, that, that public space should be usable and enjoyable for the public. And and I think, I think, I think that's a really exciting thing that's beginning to happen in this country now is that we are actually beginning to get the grasp of that and it's not a question of just putting up barriers to keep people out it's a question of how do you how do you design space so that you can make it a safe cycle route but you can also drive an 18th century carriage across it you know that's an interesting design problem well there's two questions that branch off that straight away one of them is given that the route hasn't changed in that length of as a person with a very deep voice I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs and medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Time and the architectural landscape has. What sort of things have you got that you're aware of? What what sort of changes have you perceived in the the set 
to the parade and the the, the uh, it's, I keep wanting to call it a festival. That's the wrong, completely the wrong word to use, isn't it? The celebration. Well, I don't know. The festival is the wrong word to use, really. I mean, it's it's a moving it's a moving event rather than something that takes place statically in a field with a band and you know all that. But but no, I think it is a festival. I think it's a celebration of of it, it, fundamentally it's a celebration of democracy. I mean, it's the last surviving. Okay, was the, it, it, it is the the first evidence of a democratically elected figure and that's a separate discussion um uh, being 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 um, shown to the people i mean it is a celebration of that ability to elect your representative and so it, it does have that in terms of in terms of the route and and how it's changed um uh, things have changed over time i mean if you look at the I mean, the changes, there are many. I mean, starting from here where we, we sort of set off from, if you look out into the yard through the window we're sitting by, you know, you can see that the whole of that yard has been resurfaced and rebuilt. In the time I've known it, um, you know, buildings have been changed. The Guildhall Art Gallery didn't used to be there. This is, you know, that's a new, a completely new building. The way in which the dance porch is now used, we use, we put a, a temporary thing on that. You go out into the street, the street's been resurfaced. The, the whole of Cheapside, has, the pavements have been changed. You know, number one, poultry is a new building we uh, unfortunately in my view avoided having the rather beautiful mansion house square because of the public inquiries and we deal with the with the curious interactions of geometries that are thrown at us from that so um, we no longer use um, Bartholomew Lane and Threadneedle Street for the Lord's Show we come down Prince's Street we build a temporary thing there we we have a remodeled um, junction in front of Mansion House. We have a new piece of temporary structure on the front of Mansion House. That's all going to change because there's been a consultation on how the Mansion House junction will work in the future. And you know, fashions are for you know the Tokyo style junction. You know, reduction of street furniture, all of which I think is good, um, and that will change the way we do that. As I said, you move into Cheapside. Cheapside is now a completely different street. It now has wide boulevard type pavements and a, and a narrower road, which allows people to enjoy it in a different way. So. Whilst, you know, St Mary Le Beau has been there since Wren built it, the building next door to it is brand new, the pavement outside it is twice as wide, and suddenly you're dealing with a different experience. And, and you know, you get to the end there and you've got, you know, you've got Jean Nouvel, a, you know, world-class architect building a shopping centre in the city, which used to be, a you know, a, a red brick mid-century or you know 1930s um uh, lawyer's office and and that now fronts onto st paul's which is an astonishing you know world iconic building you know and you've got all of that you've got a remodeling of all the landscape of the south of st paul's the way that we interact with that with our grandstand has all changed i mean every single element all the way around the route has has been looked at not once um during the time i've been doing this job but but many times um and, and it's a it's in a constant state of evolution uh, we're coming up for a break, and uh, we are uh, rumoured to be beset on all sides by crazy people who want to blow us up and do appalling things. And we certainly see prosecutions happening of people who have involvement in schemes and plots. And I wonder what the practical consequences, as far as you can discuss them, are on the Lord Mayor's show. And the other really rather boring question probably is just what the size of resource is that you have at your disposal to make this thing happen? Um in terms of the security um, of the show, I mean, obviously, we all know that we're currently living in a in a climate where, at the end of August, the Home Secretary put the the national um, threat level up to severe, which is a you know it's, it's back at severe. It's not the first time it's been there, but it's you know it's not a particularly comfortable place for anybody to be. It means that an attack is highly likely, um, and and um, you know that is a situation arguably of our making. And that's where we are. Um, if you look at the 
at the threats to the law most show and i can say this because it was you know now two weekends ago and and it doesn't impact the threat to the show was moderate it's two levels down from the national threat level now if you if you take that literally um you know, it's safer to be at the law based shows than it is to be anywhere else. Now, I'm not sure that that's necessarily true. We have a, a, a wide variety of different elements involved in the show that could, you know, one might imagine, might attract threat, whether they be military or judicial or police or whatever. But we put a lot of work into into making sure that, that things are safe and secure. So we work very closely with, with the police and with the security services to, to ensure public safety. Um, and we take all reasonable steps to do that. We have to be more careful than we used to. Having said that, I took on this job uh, when we were in the middle of a, of a significant threat from Irish Republican terrorism. Um, what's happened is that the landscape has changed. The nature of the threat, as anybody will tell you, has changed from one which was... Um, had elements of predictability about it. Um, certainly, you know, there was a sense that if um, the IRA were going to do something, they would tell you in advance. There were code words. We all remember all of that. Um, and, um, you know, there was a very significant and very real threat, and it was it was counted in, in a particular way. Now it's much, much more of a disparate one. I think that's a problem for society as a whole rather than for events. But, you know, there's some very very troubling things on the internet in terms of you know the the, the, the sort of the radicalization of people and and um you know i think there is uh, it doesn't matter where you are there's a possibility that something might happen because of the focus that is brought to bear on a public event like the lord mayor's show um there's an awful lot more safety and security in place than there would be for example on any average day out going about your business so i'm not sure it's a more dangerous place to be but i mean yeah it certainly make it certainly gives us work to do have you had scares We've had scares in the past, long in the distant past. I mean, the, 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 the old phrase that you will be familiar with, there is no specific intelligence to suggest, um, applies to the Lord Mayor and has applied to the Lord Mayor for a long time. Uh, as I said, it's a disparate threat now. So the chances of any specific intelligence to suggest being brought to bear on the, something like the Lord Mayor I think, are pretty remote. And obviously, if that were the case, then we would we would respond to it in a particular way. Um, but we've had all sorts of um, issues in the past. Um, we've had, you know, we've had specific... We've had evidence of, of IRA plans to disrupt the show and to attack it. Um, and, and, yeah, uh, happily, we're not, in that, we're not in that place anymore. And uh, just finally, before we go to the break... Um and, and after the break, by the way, I think we're going to do an anti-interview. But before the break, uh, what's the size of your team? What's your what's your tool bag to produce this show? The team, well, the the, the, the year-round administrative team is two people. It's myself and Helen Field, my, my executive assistant, who is excellent and does a fantastic job. The two of us run the admin and the back office and make it, pull it all together. We work with a broader team, though. You know, we work with a very good team with the city under police. We work with people here in Guildhall. Um, we work with the BBC. We work with the military. We work with the Royal Muse. We work with all sorts of people who are experts and very, very good at what they do. And I have a team of about 140 marshals who are all officers in the reserve services, re- reserve forces, um, either Army, Navy, Air Force, or Royal Marine. And they, a lot of them, are very experienced. And they come into play to actually run the procession on the day the mechanics of it they're not involved uh, very few of them are involved throughout the year one or two of them will come to to, to recce's and, and and reconnaissance meetings and, and sort of looking at things in detail on the ground but most of them won't um but they are uh, they're a great resource but as i said it is just the two of us um running it year round uh, I, I bet you're uh, you're ready to expect me being uh, dumbfounded by that <laughs> 
Oh, yeah, people do look in sort of mild amazement. I, mean, I remember lecturing in America once, and to my joy, they said, um, they said, you know, how many people do you have running? I said, well, I've got two. I said, do you know how many people we have? I said, no, and they had 900. I mean, they were, they were, they were volunteers, but this was, the, uh, this was the Tournament of Roses in Pasadena, which is a really big... Well, actually, it's not really big. It's about the same size as the show. <laughs> well, we will uh, be back after this word from our sponsor. Londonist Out Loud is sponsored by Audible. To claim your free audiobook from a range of 60,000 titles, try the Audible service on 30-day free trial. Audiobooks can be saved as MP3s and played on your compatible phone, tablet, or desktop, or burned to CD, and they're yours to keep. For your free audiobook, go to www.audible.co.uk slash Londonist and click through. You're listening to Londonist Out Loud. I'm in Quentin Wolfe, and with me at Guildhall is Dominic Reed, the pageant master for the Lord Mayor's Show and the convener of many other festivals and shows around the country. So I promised an anti-interview, and there's no question that what we've talked about so far, you have talked about more times than you can count. I, I wonder how many, just out of curiosity, um, pick any question from the last half hour. How many times would you say you've been asked it? And yeah. um, I've been asked that, you know, I have been asked um, a question a lot of the questions a fair few times I mean but but that's you know pe- people are bound to ask you similar sort of things I suppose I mean the Lord Mayor Show is, is the one thing on which I get interviewed and talked to about more than anything else the reason for that is that I'm the sort of I'm a spokesperson. I suppose I'm the, the repository of most of the knowledge on the subject um, so that's what people want to talk to me about they can't curiously they can't talk to the Lord Mayor because we're in a position where in the run-up to the Lord Mayor show, they can't talk to the new Lord Mayor because he's not the Lord Mayor yet, and they can't talk to the old one because they don't want to talk about the new show. And um, so I, I end up covering a lot of that off, and that um, that's absolutely fine. I think when you talk about um, when you talk about some of the other work that I've done, I mean, for example, I mean the the, the, the big and interesting things have all been London-based. I would say to the Londonists, I would say that wouldn't I? But but um, you know, I was involved uh, in running the Oxford and Cambridge boat race. I was involved in the dime, uh, wrong in the in the Golden Jubilee. I was involved in the state state procession for the for the Golden Jubilee in two thousand and two, um, and I worked um, for the Royal Society for their three hundred fiftieth anniversary, which is a remarkable uh, a remarkable um, thing to mark as well. Um, and and all of that has been London based. But when you're working on projects like that, you know you don't want to listen to the organizer. You want to either listen to the athletes in the case of the boat race, or you want to you know there will be a there will you know, there'll be people who are who are formally authorised to talk on the jubilee on royal matters, and with the Royal Society, you want to hear from the scientists. You want to hear from them, from the real people. I suppose with the Lord Mayor Show, I am the real person, so that's how I end up answering those questions, which I have I enjoy doing. Well, yes, I wondered how you how you keep up that because even if you didn't enjoy doing it, you still got to do it. You'd surely drive yourself mad if you were sick and tired of it and felt that way all the time. When how do you how do you keep the spirit up when you're not in the mood for answering these questions for the umpteenth time? Well, I, 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 the answer to that is. I, I am into it. I do love it. Um, I don't manufacture it. I, I don't think I would be able to. Um, and I remember being asked that question by Lady Anne Jenkins, who was the the Lady Mayoress of, of my father's last Lord Mayor. So he was Lord Mayor in 1991, and she's a wonderful woman. She said, "I don't know how you do it, dear. How on earth do you, you know, get the enthusiasm up again?" And that was sort of fairly early on in my my tenure. I've now um, just completed my 23rd Lord Mayor show, and I do I do genuinely enjoy it. I think one of the great things about it is that it's cyclical um uh, uh, so speaking as a you know from my perspective you, there's an intensity to the work that builds up to a point which is not intolerable but it's pretty intense um but then it stops and it goes away and you can retreat and you can you can do that and i think 
I think in life, if you, as long as you, you know, you, you're able to regroup, as long as you're able to sort of rebuild, then you, you, you can do that. For me personally, as well, it's a great joy to to have done something for a long period of time. I mean, maybe 23 years is taking it to extremes, but I do definitely remember my 14th Lord Mayor show, and I, I just remember standing in front of it as it passed me, and for the first time thinking, you know, I'm running this now. This is not running me. I'm. I'm in charge. My fingers are on the levers here, um, and I think, I think in, in in modern life, it's very, it's very much the case that most people will do something for two or three years, and they'll want promotion, or they'll want to go somewhere else, or they want something different. And the great joy in my life is that I get that through the other projects that I do. So I mean, I, I have a fascinating time. I'm all over the place doing things, and I do get that sort of two three year cycle. But through the backbone of that has been the Law Mayor Show, and and so you do get. I would preface this next comment by saying I don't consider myself to be wise, but I think it does give you a sort of a wisdom that is, is would be really difficult to achieve in any other way. Actually doing the same thing for 23 years and it being successful and other people coming into contact with it and working with you on it and then disappearing and you realising that actually 23 years down the line, the culture has to be partly because of the way that you have caused it to be is is quite a it's quite an interesting thing to observe and you look at it and you think well actually i must have been at least partly responsible for that um but i think also the ability to get away and to and, and to sort of decompress and stuff allows you to to to, to keep a natural enthusiasm and, and i do i do care passionately about it i love it i think it's a great thing to do well that yes putting it away and and, and taking time away from the many different roles and you talk about the cyclicality that's a word now of the lord mayor show but the same is true of course for other festival shows and so forth that happen on a, a recurring basis and i suppose in my mind i've got a question along the lines of what do you wear at home and clearly you must be working around the year on if not this project then the next project but if we were to strip away uh, the huge work component of your life um who are you what do you uh, what do you find yourself enthusing about um if not in a work context that's a really good question. I mean, there's a lovely there's a lovely quotation from Machiavelli about um, about on his retirement about how he will he will go into his, his room he will put away the cares of the world and he will he will put on regal and curial robes and uh, it's a, it's an interesting it's an interesting one. But no, I, I think for me, um, uh, who am I? I don't know. Uh, the things I care about, I do care about. I do care about the sort of things that that, that that my work touches on. I do care about, as I said, the structure and language of life. I do think that it's very important that people behave well towards one another, and I think the the formalisation of that through ceremony is 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 a lesson that people learn and take away. I care very much about design. I very I care, you know, very much about the way in which. The way in which people treat one another. Um, what do I do when I'm not working? I do the sort of things that other people do. You know, I do the laundry. I go shopping. I like to sail a boat occasionally. Although I have to confess that it hasn't been in the water for three years because I've been working too hard and not doing enough sailing. Um, I like being in the open air. I like being with my family. You know, I have a dog. I mean, it's all you know, fairly fairly normal stuff, really. I wonder whether there's a danger because you're having to change gear and change personnel and all these different administrative streams um i wondered if you ever catch yourself thinking i've I've taken on just a little bit more than i ought to have done 
Yeah, I mean, I think I think you do that. I think I think you do that because you you want to go, do a good job. I mean, you wouldn't you wouldn't survive long doing what I do unless you unless you cared quite deeply about the quality of the delivery, which means that you're always kind of over delivering. You've got to. That's what you're about, and therefore you're bound to take on a bit bit much. I mean, as I said, uh, you know, it, it does go in cycles. I mean, I had a year some years ago when I was running the Oxford Cambridge Boat Race, the Lord Mayor's Show, and and doing a big chunk of the Queen's Golden Jubilee. Um, I think I, my staff increased to some total of three that year. Um, but at the end of that, I was, you know, I, I realised that I'd done quite a lot. I think I've, I'm coming to the end of another year where that's true. I mean, working on the Invictus Games, working with Prince Harry and, and, and the team on that has been fantastic and a great privilege. But but it was, um, you know, it was a big commitment to put on a a multi-sport, multi-venue games of international quality in nine months from a standing start in a major city like London um, was, was, was quite interesting. And I came rolling straight out of that into another Lord Mayor show and lo and behold, we managed to do, do a good job of it. So, um, yes, and then I think there are, there, there are the things that you feel moved to do, um, you know, outside work. I mean, I'm fortunate to be on the board of the Museum of London, so I'm a governor of the Museum of London, which is a great museum with a great deal of energy, um, I know I'm talking to a talking to a listenership who who have a passion for London. I mean, it's a it's a wonderful place and and and, a, and an institution to watch because I think there's a really superb team there at the moment and there's lots of exciting stuff going on. Um, so yeah, you, yeah, of course you do. You you, you take on too much, but, um, but as, the, as the Scots say, you're a long time dead. So you know you might as well get on with it. Well, normally at this point in the show, of course, we'd be plugging a forthcoming event, book, website, whatever it might be, but it's a little early to push the 800th. What's on your calendar in London? Oh, that's bad. Sounds like we might need to react to that. Yeah, we do. Well, there's a flourish of an ending. By way of a flourish here, uh, just as we're coming to the end of the interview, the fire alarms have gone off here at Guildhall, so we will complete in uh, grand fashion on the sidewalk outside the building. Uh, ordinarily at this stage in the interview we would say something about forthcoming events, but the uh, forthcoming event as far as the Lord Mayor show goes could hardly be further away. Uh, the 800th, of course, coming up in just a whisker under a year. Um, but um, what's this about Tweed at the Museum of London? What's going on here? Well, um, there's, there's a couple of things I say one is that the, yeah the Tweed the, the Museum of London uh, which is a fantastic place which I thoroughly encourage everybody to go and have a look um, now I, I suggested that the, what, what we needed to do is create a special Tweed a London Tweed because as you, as you probably know you know estates in the country have their own signature Tweed so I thought we needed a London one and we we created one for the Museum of London which I was involved in the design of and um, now if you go and see the, the excellent Sherlock Holmes mu- um, exhibition that's on at the moment uh, you can buy a Deerstalker in Museum of London Tweed I happen to have myself I happen to have a three piece suit in it but uh, but you don't need to go that far maybe just by the cat 
<laughs> the other thing that I, I, I really want to mention is that, as, as you've, you've alluded to, next year will be the 800th anniversary of the Lord Mayor Show, which is you know really significant. And we're producing a book. It's the first time a book on the Lord Mayor Show has been produced. It's being done uh, by Third Millennium Publishing, and I'm the general editor of it. Um, so that's that will be on sale. I mean, it, it, it's on sale by pre-order at the moment, but it will be published in October. It'll be the first book on the show, and I would recommend it to your listenership. You can get it through either our website, the lawmeshow.org, um, or through uh, through Third Millennium. Well, thanks for taking the time, and you're off to India, so happy travels. When do you get a break? Um, hopefully get a break at Christmas. Looking forward to that, I must say. Thanks very much. Thank you. And that's all for this week. My thanks for this week to Dominic Reed. Thanks too to Mark Barr and Bernie Barkley. Theme and incidental music was by Songs from the Howling Sea. I'm in Quentin Wolf. Place way on tide.